we're doing a lot, I'll say, at Domino's to create these seamless consumer experiences. And how do we continue to find ways to match that on the, the employee side, such that we're creating really seamless team member experiences in terms of how team members interact with their employer and feel supported and get their needs met? That is an area that through the use of technology, we are going to continue to be able to unlock uh, as we look to the future. That was Domino's EVP and Chief Human Resources Officer, Lisa Price. And in this episode, I sit down with Lisa to discuss her career path and background and her role building out a new people strategy for Domino's. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, powering fast-growing companies like Shopify, Rubrik, and Sneak. Automate messages across the employee journey so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way. From onboarding to becoming a new manager and more, PIN helps companies communicate at scale. Go to pinhq.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. Reinvent communications for the distributed workforce. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I'm really looking forward to my conversation with Lisa Price. Lisa is the EVP and CHRO at Domino's. And we're going to talk about her career through Starbucks, Nordstrom, and now her role at Domino's, uh, the evolution of the field, and how she's approaching building out her talent strategy at scale at Domino's. So, Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, uh, let's start with just a brief introduction and background on you. Yeah, thanks, Lars. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, as you shared, I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer here at Domino's, so leading all of the people function. I've been with the organization a little over two years um, and uh, prior to that, spent about four years at Nordstrom, and prior to that, uh, a little over 20 years at Starbucks. Yeah, so you, you know, I think when you look at the profile of a CHRO today, you have some people who have, uh, you know, worked within the industry, uh, within the, the domain of their whole career, others that maybe have moved in and out of it. Going back to the beginning of your career at Starbucks, what, what originally drew you to HR? When I graduated from college, I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. I was a psychology major and a math minor. I had been actually studying to become an actuary. Um, I love to solve problems, uh, but quickly realized that that was probably not going to fulfill my, my passion. And so I kept working actually at Starbucks um, as a barista. I, was, I started working as a barista in college and continued working after graduation um, and ultimately got a, an entry-level foot in the door at the Pacific Northwest Regional Office at Starbucks. Uh, where I got exposed to human resources, um, to folks in the, the learning and development function and the HR business partner capacity. And I realized, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, and so ultimately, after I had that entry-level opportunity, um, was able to, to move my way into the HR function and, and ultimately grow a career over there. So as you mentioned, you spent 20 years at Starbucks, you know, actually starting as a barista uh, and then working through a range of, of different roles. And I'm curious, was there, was there a particular moment at Starbucks uh, in your, particularly as you started expanding more into leadership roles uh, in HR, is there a moment that you can kind of look back to and, and view that as a defining moment that maybe began um, serving kind of as, as a framing function for how you view the field of HR and how you view your role as a leader in this field? 
One of the big takeaways from my time at, at Starbucks was how critically important the team member or partner experience um, really is in delivering a great customer experience. And so taking care of the frontline team members was something that was really instilled in me as a leader that I've carried forward in my roles um, since leaving, leaving the organization. But one of those, I think, key defining moments, it actually happened a bit earlier in my career at Starbucks, where, um, as I mentioned, I, I, where I got exposed to human resources, I was actually not in human resources at the time. I, I was in a coordinator admin position supporting the Pacific Northwest Regional Office, and a store manager walked into the office, and I sat at the front desk, and the store manager said, hey, I've got a barista at my store. She's a single mom. She's fallen on hard times. She's about to be evicted from her home. Is there anything we can do uh, to help her? Uh, and that became the impetus for us uh, creating the uh, CUP Fund, which stands for Caring Unites Partners. It's an employee relief fund where partners could donate their own money from their, from their paycheck to help other partners during difficult times or times of need. Um, and I think that, to me, was something that I carried forward in, in my career in terms of how do, we, how do we continue to find ways to invest in that team member experience, create a culture of a care, empathy, compassion, belonging for our team members that this is, you know, creates a, a sense of, hey, this is a place I really want to be long term with a group of people that I know that care about me. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how, how formative that would have been at that stage in your career um, to, to see a program, you know, developed uh, in response to a, 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 and in a scenario like that, right? It, it's like a specific incident that ends up, you know, creating uh, what sounds like a, a global program and kind of seeing, seeing how that unfolded. I imagine that would have been pretty powerful. As you mentioned, you, uh, you know, after 20 years at Starbucks, you spent four years at Nordstrom and roughly two years ago, you joined Domino's. What drew you to that opportunity at Domino's? It kind of links into that story so I'll, that, that I just shared. So I'll, um, there were three primary reasons why I was attracted to the opportunity at, at Domino's. The, the first was certainly the brand and, and focus on innovation and technology to really create a, a seamless consumer or customer experience. Uh, I think that the brand has taken some pretty bold moves to make investments in technology uh, and so that was and, and, and really innovate. So that was thing one that attracted me. This, the second thing is I got the opportunity to meet the leadership team and a number of different people. And I just really love the people, super smart, uh, very collegial group of folks and just felt comfortable with that, that leadership team. And then the third reason was tied to the values of the company, which ties back to that story I just shared. So when we formed the CUP Fund, Caring Unites Partners or that Employee Relief Fund, back in the mid-90s at Starbucks, I had actually done some research trying to find, are there other, uh, any other companies that have started or have in place an employee relief fund? And interestingly, Domino's had started what they call the, the Partners Foundation, an employee relief fund, back in the mid-80s. And so I actually called someone from Domino's to do some benchmarking to find out how they started it, what were the parameters, how it was working, and so I had this positive experience with the brand back in the mid-90s in terms of the value set of the company. So knew that my personal values would align with the, the company values at, at Domino's. So for those three reasons, I, I took a leap of faith and, and joined the team. And it's, it's been a great experience so far. 
Yeah, that's really interesting how those uh, those things connected uh, for you. So uh, I imagine most readers and viewers are familiar, uh, I'm sorry, listeners and viewers are familiar with uh, Domino's, but they probably don't know much about the operation, the uh, headcount, kind of uh, business footprint. So could you give an overview uh, just to help them frame the, the size and scope and, and, and locations of the business? Yeah, sure. So Domino's is a, a global brand operating in a little over 90 countries uh, around the world. Uh, last year, global retail sales was about $16 billion. Uh, there are about 18,000 stores across the, the world, about 350,000 team members, um, and it's a franchise model. So in terms of uh, the franchising, that represents about 98% of our stores. So in terms of the HR organization, it's kind of an interesting, interesting role in that from a direct control perspective, I help support people strategy for about 15,000 team members because we've got about 400 corporate stores in the US uh, and we've got about 30 uh, supply chain centers across the US and Canada. We've got some offices in internationally in Amsterdam, Hong Kong, and Dubai. Uh, but a lot of the, the work supports that 15,000 team members, but also where I can really influencing our domestic and international franchisees around uh, some of the people practices uh, that we're putting in play here uh, and how those may play in other parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting model with that structure because you have kind of direct purview, I imagine, of obviously the, the corporate employees, um, but the, the franchises, you're kind of creating a framework and they can they choose to kind of opt into those practices uh, or not based on how they align in their local markets? We can share best practice, but really, we, we because of joint employer issues, we've got to be careful about not dictating any policy or, or practice. So really, it's it's about uh, sharing exchange of, of best practice, but ultimately, it's it's up to the franchisee to determine how they execute their people practices, policies, et cetera. And so, you know, you mentioned you've been there for, for two years. You know, you kind of had an interesting onboarding experience where you joined, I think it was around August of 2019. Uh, you're a new people executive, you're coming in, you're building your rapport and your relationships with your executive peers and your team and your employees. You're probably just coming out of your kind of initial onboarding period with your roadmap of your people vision. And then things get turned upside down with the, the pandemic. And so what was that experience like for you as you're, you're probably just beginning to hit your stride on your people vision, and then you have to recalibrate it entirely to account for a global pandemic? It's been generally really positive. I, I don't know if it was some, some level of luck, but um, interestingly, you know, to your, to your point, had been uh, working to formalize our, our people agenda and strategy, co-creating that with the, the HR leadership team and, and the executive team and doing listening sessions to really inform that. The organization prior to me joining had also just done a culture and engagement survey. And there was some really rich data coming out of that, that survey that also served as a basis for some low-hanging fruit that I felt like we could take some immediate action against. Um, and so two of those immediate action uh, items that simultaneous to, to building out the, the longer term people strategy were clarifying and codifying our values. And secondly, developing a flex work policy for the organization. 
And so I, I share that because those were two really actually important levers that we had. We were just in the throes of launching as the pandemic hit. And the values was really interesting in that I shared earlier about the, the values and my, my attraction to the brand because of those values, but they were more implicit than explicit. And so as an organization, we spent some time during my first six months really getting clear around our purpose and values. And boy, did that really serve as a guidepost to inform our actions and our, our decisions as we move throughout the pandemic. So having those clarified and in place as the pandemic hit was incredibly helpful. Um, and then having just worked to, to develop this, this flex work policy, we had uh, developed guides and, and things for you know managers' effectiveness and, and supporting someone or, or managing someone working in more of a remote environment. So those actually we pulled forward and, and accelerated uh, some of the guides and, and things that we put together in support of that flex work policy. So you know I think those two things were were were, were quite helpful and fortuitous, if you will. But um, I would say the other aspects of the strategy. I would say we it, it caused us to pause, uh, decelerate certain things and accelerate other things. So I would say the places where we ended up accelerating tied to the team member experience, along with ensuring we had the right reward structure in place. So some of the things that we started quickly focusing on, obviously the health and safety of our team members, uh, we implemented a, a sick, sick pay policy for all of our part-time uh, and full-time team members uh, starting on day one of employment, which was really, really important. We made significant investments in frontline wages and thank you bonuses. Uh, so it really accelerated some, some efforts there. Uh, so, so those were some of the things that we were really focused on. Again, it became almost an accelerant for uh, us making progress against some of the key things we had mapped out in our, our people strategy. Hey everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to the new Amplify Accelerator platform. The Amplify and redefining HR ecosystem have evolved quite a bit over the last two years, starting with a podcast, growing to a book, and now leading to a full platform aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of chief people officers. You know, the mission of Amplify is accelerating innovation at scale, and we now do that through HR executive search services, cohort courses, communities, jobs, and media. That includes the podcast and the book. So you can check all of this out at AmplifyTalent.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and I can imagine some of those investments around, um, you know, bonuses and wages uh, were hugely helpful then and hugely helpful now, kind of in this time of the great resignation and, and the, the struggle a lot of organizations are having to um, find and, and hold on to talent. I'd love to go deeper a little bit with you on the on the flexibility um, structure and kind of how that was driven, because I think one of the biggest changes that we're seeing at, at a macro level is uh, employees wanting more flexibility in their work, you know, whether that is remote or hybrid or when they work or hours or, or there's a variety of ways to look at it. Um, but that, you know, that is not really a trend. That's a reality kind of, of, of what employers want or employees want, especially in this employee driven market. And I think from an HR perspective and you know, supporting that, 
can feel for some HR leaders a bit overwhelming, particularly who are, you know, leaders who are accustomed to having more playbook oriented, uh, you know, HR strategies that have just been kind of held over for, for years. And, you know, now we're in this place where we have to build things that are new and build things that are much more flexible in approach. And obviously in your environment, you're having to think about that at scale as well. So how, what, what are some of the, the kind of flexible programs that you've introduced? What, what does that look like? Uh, and I guess what advice would you have for your, your peers and contemporaries who are maybe grappling with, you know, moving from very kind of centralized and um, consistent programs and structures to trying to create more flexible uh, programs for their employees? Yeah, I don't know if I have a corner on, on wisdom on on all of this. You know, we're still navigating through through this, but uh, ultimately, you know, I, I think the, the the premise of trusting your employees, so trust being an important aspect, and really focus on outcomes are are going to be really important as we continue and navigate through the, the pandemic and also the future of work. So we're we're definitely taking an approach particularly for our corporate team members, uh, erring on the side of more flexibility than less as we look to the future. And, and I, I think with flexibility, we also expect a certain level of flexibility on our team members as, or from our team members as well. So we're going to be flexible as an organization, but we also expect you to be flexible um, where there will be certain times where it, we're, it's going to be more conducive to have an in-person meeting based on the nature of the conversation, the collaboration that we would benefit from by doing something in person. You know, we're really been talking about the notion of three C's, connection, collaboration, and celebration, and where it may make sense to have more in-person conversations to support those three C's of connection, celebration, and collaboration. But I also have to think about it in the, the context of we've got our frontline uh, store team members along with our supply chain team members, and how are we creating a level of flexibility in those opportunities as well, um, such that, you know, I'm a working mom, I can only work certain shifts and making sure we are creating a level of flexibility that we can meet the team members' needs where they're at. So I think depending upon the type of work and role, how do you apply flexibility to a certain degree across all of those, those roles? Um, it's going to look differently based on the type of audience uh, or, or worker type that you've got. I mean, that makes sense. And obviously, you know, you have a, a portfolio of employees uh, that are in all of those spaces, right? Some that are frontline uh, employees, some that are able to work from home. And so I think, you know, a lot of the conversation around uh, remote and hybrid specifically tends to center on uh, companies that have uh, employees who are able to just work from home um, during the pandemic. And so then it's like a question, do you come back with office? But many com companies and employers and employees like yours had employees who have don't have the ability to work in an office. And so thinking about how you create flexibility for those frontline workers um, you know, becomes hugely important as well. And, and I'd love to get your perspective. You know, obviously, a lot of the conversation uh, around what we've gone through over the last 18 months and its impact on HR has been pretty transformative. It's, it's the shift to remote and hybrid, um, creating more flexible constructs from work, um, you know, di having different conversations around racial equity and social justice, um, different conversations around mental health and employee well-being. Um, I'm curious to get your perspective, you know, as a people leader specifically, how have the last 18 months 
maybe reshaped how you view your role as a people leader? What's really awesome, I think, about what has transpired over the last 18 months is we've all had to navigate a lot of things professionally, personally, um, this you know, forcing of, of all of us working from home on, home on the corporate side, I think has provided a window into the lives of people um, in, a, in a very different way that we didn't actually have before, that as humanized leaders have, have humanized our team members, where I think all of us are appreciating and developing more empathy, more compassion. And I think that's just so awesome and great. And, and so I think it's it's really helped to, to facilitate more openness to certain conversations that just weren't comfortable and may still be, to a certain extent, uncomfortable, uh, but we're at least having them now um, around mental health, around you know, race, um, underrepresented populations in the workforce not feeling included or that they belong. And so how do we break some of that down in a way listen and learn and, and build bridges uh, to support team members as we look to the future. So I think it's it's given HR a really awesome platform to continue those conversations and continue to make progress around some subjects that perhaps just weren't being talked about in, in the workplace before. I think like when you look at the forcing function of all of the events we've just discussed and really kind of being a springboard to move HR into the future, it's an exciting time because we're kind of writing a playbook right now for a future that doesn't yet exist uh, that, that we're working towards. And I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective. I'd love to get this uh, you know, guest perspective on this question. When you think about how the field of, of HR and people operations is evolving, what gets you most excited when you think about our future? There, there's a few things that really come to mind. I, I think particularly the the events of the the, the past um, year related to inclusion and diversity are energizing to, to me. And I, I feel like this is our time to really drive progress in that in that space. So so for me, that is an area that I think we will continue to see accelerate, get more visibility, support, and exposure, and allowing us as as corporate uh, partners to make progress. So I'm I'm really excited. I think as part of that, there is, I think we can come together as corporations and as a collective to to really progress together. Um, and, and that's really, you know, breaking down some some silos there and, and collaborating across industry, across corporations, I, I think is really exciting. I think the other thing that that I, I think has merged through the, the pandemic and as we think about the future of work is um, this notion of we're doing a lot, I, I'll say, at Domino's to create these seamless consumer experiences and how do we continue to find ways to match that on the, the employee side, such that we're creating really seamless team member experiences in terms of how team members interact with their employer and feel supported and get their needs met. That is an area that through the use of technology, we are going to continue to be able to unlock uh, as we look to the future. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, you, you probably see that in a, in a pretty unique way because Domino's has really been pushing the innovation envelope from a digitization standpoint, right? In, in a field that uh, you know, might not necessarily conjure, uh, you know, ideas of 
of progressive innovation, and yet Domino's is kind of out front in doing that. I imagine that there's a connectiveness to that, to the people strategy, where you have to kind of mirror that that ethos uh, and, and commitment to innovation within your own team um, and kind of pushing the boundaries of that employee experience. So that's got to be exciting to kind of build in parallel in that kind of an environment. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have a phrase, we want it to be as easy as ordering a pizza um, uh, in HR. So uh, anyways, for our team members and for, for our managers, it should be as easy as ordering a pizza. That's a lot of pressure though, because Domino's has made it really easy to order a pizza. So <laughs> it is, but it gives us something to, to aim for. So a vision for for what we can we can do for as we look to the future. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your your career journey and giving us a window into what you're building at Domino's. Uh, you know, we close every episode with a lightning round just to help the listeners and viewers get to know you a little bit better. So you ready to jump in? Sure. All right. So um, I'm going to start. Checking out your Spotify account. Who am I going to learn are your top three artists? Yeah, my top three uh, are top number one, Indigo Girls. Okay. Number two, Brandy Carlisle. All right. And number three is Pink. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite HR buzzword? Yeah, I thought a little bit on this one. I'm going to go with work-life blend or work-life <laughs> integration or work-life balance. All of them. I Least favorite. Yeah, I think we've kind of retired. Well, we should have retired those after the last, uh, you know, since the pandemic. I think uh, there's there's not like it's this separation between uh, work and life that I think those phrases were originally uh, coined to uh, to create. I haven't seen a better one. I've seen people try, like you betcha, work life blend, work life integration. I've seen lots of different variations of that, but none that uh, none that quite you know, I feel kind of connected to this moment we're in. Um, if you weren't working in HR, I know you spent your career in this field. Uh, if you were doing something different, what would it be? Well, you know, I, I've always fantasized about um, being a singer songwriter and hitting the road, but I'm not musically inclined. So, but that if I was, that would be my absolute dream. All right. So of course, my follow-up question is, is there a genre? If you're, uh, if, if you had the musical talents, what, what kind of music would you be playing? Well, I mean, I, you heard through my, my Spotify list. I, I love that. I'd love to learn how to play the guitar and, um, singer songwriter, kind of a little folk rock type is, is probably my genre. You know, that's don't, don't give up on that dream yet. That, that, that there may, there may be a, a reinvention at some point in your future. I'll, I'll, I'll be looking for you on the road. Um, and, uh, last question for you, Lisa, who, who is one HR leader who you admire and why? Yeah. One, one that I really admire, her name is Christine deputy. Uh, she is the head of HR chief people officer at Pinterest. Um, she and I had the opportunity to work together at both Starbucks and Nordstrom. Uh, she was the former CHRO at Nordstrom and she's just a, an amazing leader. She's super courageous her knowledge of the business is so strong. I learned so much from her. And oftentimes I feel like she believed in me more than I believed in myself. So she just has a knack of um, building people up and developing great talent. And, um, and I, I feel very uh, proud to have learned from her. And, and she has helped me, I think, successfully now step into a chief people officer role uh, here at Domino's. Well, that's great. And, and great to kind of see how the two of you work together um, over that time. And those those mentor relationships are are so important. So 
Um, Lisa, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, sharing your story, sharing your experience and helping us get to know you a little bit better. So thanks so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much, Lars, for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.